The following sermon was preached at Redeeming Grace Fellowship. For more information about RGF, please visit our website at www.rgf.church. Please feel free to make copies of this sermon or distribute to friends and family. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for this gathering of souls uh, that in your goodness and sovereignty you have brought together. And uh, Lord, thank you for our freedom to come here to proclaim your name, to learn from your word. And uh, Lord, most of all, because it was done by you, uh, the freedom to come here and be changed uh, by your Holy Spirit. Now, Lord, as we delve into your word, I pray that you would once again uh, work on us in such a way that uh, you would cause us to look more like Christ by the time you are done with us. Uh, Lord, may our fellowship with each other uh, be an immediate uh, application of what we learn from your word. And uh, Lord, may we see even tonight those of us who know you as our Lord uh, see manifestations of the Holy Spirit in and through our lives. And uh, we hand this time over to you, and we ask you, Lord, to have your way with us. Uh, uh, Lord, do great and mighty things in and through us. And we thank you for that privilege in Christ's name. Amen. Okay. Before we dive deeply into patience as a fruit of the Spirit, we need to first make sure that we have set up some valuable perspectives and definitions of that which we speak so that we can have a meaningful discussion. Uh, To help me with the first perspective, let's play a little game. I have an object. It grows on a tree. It's yellow, has a shape like a football, but really is about the size of a hamster. You must peel it in order to eat it, and it is very, very sour. What have I just told you to do? Did I tell you to peel it? What have I just told you to do? Think about that for a minute. Now, in the same manner, let's read through Galatians 5:22 to 23. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What have I just told you to do? Okay. In my narrative of the lemon, now follow this, I simply describe to you certain things that are true about a lemon. I didn't tell you to do anything at all. Okay. The things that I stated about the lemon were descriptive, not prescriptive. What's important, though, is that if indeed the object that I was describing contained the characteristics in my description, you would indeed have a lemon. When we read Galatians 5, where it identifies the fruit of the Spirit, we must again carefully understand the author's intent. We are not instructed here to go be patient. Most sermons that address Galatians 5 give you a list of things to do. We are not told to do anything here. We are, however, informed that where the Spirit is, there is patience. This enables us to make a valuable discernment that if someone has the Holy Spirit, they will demonstrate patience, and that if we do not see patience in a person's life, then the Spirit who produces it may not be present. 
Remember that Christ himself stated that you will know a tree by its fruit. This is descriptive, not prescriptive. We must be ever so careful not to misuse anything that we're given in the scriptures. In so doing, we could easily set ourselves up for frustration and failure, culminating in bitterness and doubt. Turning uh, a descriptive passage like this into a prescriptive one can lead us to pursue actions that we are not capable of carrying out, taking action where we're not supposed to, while not taking action where we are supposed to, and as a result, developing a frustrating and legalistic approach to our walk with Christ. So we must get it straight that what we've got here is a description of the fruit of the Spirit. You haven't been yet commanded to do anything. The action that we are commanded to perform here in Galatians 5 is to walk in the Spirit. This is set in contrast to the action of fulfilling the lust of the flesh. You're going to do one or you're going to do the other. In other words, go with what you know rather than what you feel. Be ideational rather than sensate. Go with the redeemed mind that is being renewed rather than the flesh or the senses that draw you in opposition to what you know with your redeemed mind. If indeed you are doing that, walking in the Spirit, moving ahead according to what your redeemed mind knows rather than what your senses and impulses dictate, you will be, among other things, patient. Okay? Now, for another prescriptive, rather, I'm sorry, now for another perspective to help us communicate more clearly. Many moons ago when I was entering my sophomore year in college, uh, I had known the Lord for not even a year yet, and all at one time my world came crashing down. Within a matter of a couple weeks, my best friend was killed by a drunk driver. Another friend was killed playing chicken in his car. Neither guy chickened out. I was being regularly harassed by a girl back home uh, that was off her rocker and was stalking me. Uh, Two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning phone calls. One of my best college friends informed me that he was having a homosexual affair with my roommate slash Bible study leader. The only professor that I had bonded with fell into a deep depression and killed himself. And now I had to study on top of all that. No pressure. While arguably the most painful period I've ever experienced in my life, it was also the period that produced the most visible and permanent sanctification in my life. James promises us that God initiates and uses trials to produce endurance in his children. Our job is to patiently ride it out without turning to ungodly coping mechanisms and maintaining an attitude of thanksgiving throughout. While this patience that I just illustrated with trying circumstances was made possible by having Christ in my life, it is not the patience identified here in Galatians 5 as the fruit of the Spirit. Okay? That's not the patience that he's talking about. There are two primary Greek words used in the scriptures that we translate into the English word patience. Hupomene and macrothumia. Hupomene is the patience we exercise when we are going through difficult and trying times like the one I just described. It is elicited by circumstances, is the opposite of despair, and is empowered by hope. That anticipation of the perfection and completion that God has promised the believer as the result of enduring such times. This hopeful endurance is best translated as patience. 
hold out. Last, stay with the program. Suck it up. Don't give in. This patience is actually a byproduct of the first three fruits listed in Galatians 5 that result from a right vertical relationship with God, and that's love, joy, and peace. Macrothumia, on the other hand, is what is identified here in Galatians as a fruit of the Spirit. While it, too, is translated as patience in many Bible versions, it is better translated as long-suffering. It is, in contrast to hupomene, which is elicited by circumstances, macrothumia is elicited by abrasive people. One is by circumstances, one is by people. Hupomene, the opposite, is despair. For macrothumia, the opposite is anger. Where hupomene is empowered by hope, macrothumia is empowered by mercy. This fruit belongs with the next triad of long-suffering, kindness, and goodness that all address the Spirit's manifestation in our horizontal relationships with other people. Another significant difference is this. And to give you an illustration, what does a glove do? It does nothing until you stick your hand in it, and then the glove does whatever your hand does, right? So, what does the believer do? Whatever the spirit in the believer does, okay? If you are saved in this illustration, you are much like a glove. Now, there is a breakdown in that because the glove only has one working force inside of it, whereas we have two. We've got the flesh that wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. But if the spirit is there, we will have animation caused by the Holy Spirit. Since the spirit is God, and if God is in the believer, then the believer will manifest the desires, character, attitudes, and the demeanor of the Holy Spirit. God does not hupomene. Okay? Remember, that's the first version or kind of patience that we looked at. doesn't apply to God. He does not endure trying times while hanging on with hope. He doesn't need that. God does, however, macrothumia. He extends great mercy and withholds wrath with offensive people. Me being chief. Now, let's unfold this idea of long-suffering by looking at how the Lord uses it throughout his scriptures. God begins in the Old Testament by establishing himself as the model for exercising long-suffering with man. In Exodus 34, 4 through 7, uh, Moses uh, says, Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. If you are a follower of Christ, that is what is in you. And that is the, the patience that, or the long-suffering that when we get into the New Testament, and it's no longer Hebrew, now it's in the Greek, that's the macrothumia that we're going to talk about tonight. Psalm 86.15 says, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So the model is established there. 
We don't get a whole lot of instruction yet. The reason I'm thinking that we don't get a whole lot of instruction yet is because what is macrothumia? It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit who has not yet come to his people. Okay? So how can we carry that out if we don't have him? But in the New Testament, it's coming. In both these passages, we see that God is merciful, gracious, loving, forgiving, and faithful. Again, what does the glove do? Whatever the hand inside it does. If God is in me, we all should see these qualities increasing in my life. When we get to the New Testament, after God has repeatedly demonstrated how he is indeed long-suffering, he can now offer us more instruction in how we should be manifesting his characteristics. It will now make sense to us. As a benefit of the new covenant, he is now in us, and we are, as a result, capable of living out his character in our lives because we're empowered to do so by the hand in the glove, the Holy Spirit in the person. Usually, when we are instructed to do or manifest something, we will see in God's word three things. One, a model where he does it first. Secondly, a mandate where we are commanded to do something. And thirdly, a mission where we see what the objective is of, what, of doing what we are commanded to do. The following is almost a completely exhaustive look at all the passages in the New Testament that speak of macrothumia. Okay? So, limber up your fingers if you're taking notes. Um, you might not be able to cover all the notes, but you can at least get the Bible references. Okay? And do some study on this. I've tried to categorize each passage that we're going to look at under model, mandate, or mission, but you'll see that in many cases the passage could land in more than one category. So, uh, give me some grace there. 2 Corinthians 6, 3 through 9. Okay, we're going to look at our models. Paul says, We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry, but as servants of God we commend ourselves in every way. By great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, macrothumia, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. Don't miss all those words. Under what circumstances is Paul exercising macrothumia, patience with other people? Okay? Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as imposters, yet we still exercise macrothumia. He continues, you know, a little bit further down, he says, and yet well known, as dying, and behold, we live as punished and not yet killed. Okay? So here they are staring death in the eyeball, and they're still exercising macrothumia. We frequently, now this is why I point this out, we frequently amen God's word, but then justify our deviation from it because we perceive our circumstances to be so extreme and somehow outside those that the biblical writer has experienced. Amen? We hear God telling us to long suffer, but then we wiggle out of it by miserably exclaiming, but you don't work with this person. You don't have to deal with this in your family. 
You didn't marry what I married. In this passage, Paul tries to include every circumstance in which we might justify our lack of patience, including conditions as extreme as staring death in the eye. Okay? And until your boss threatens your life, you don't have it as bad as Paul did. And Paul still exercised macrothemia. 2 Timothy 3.10 says, You, however, have followed my teaching, Timothy, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my macrothemia, my patience with trying people, my love, my steadfastness. Once again, Paul is appealing to himself as a model for long-suffering. We must remember, though, that Paul is not the ultimate model, but rather the one who instructed us to imitate him as he imitates Christ himself. Paul was a tangible model given to us by Christ so that we could see what Christ's patience or macrothemia looked like. 1 Peter 3.20 For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. Noah had plenty of reason to be upset with man. Could have, could have obliterated us on the spot. But he held out. He long-suffered. He macrothumiaed if I can state it that way, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. He suffered through the sinfulness, the perversion of man, so that he could rescue his small group of elect. Here Peter points to God's long-suffering in withholding the wrath that men deserve so that he could take care of Noah, his his, uh, elect, Now, we've looked at the model. This is what it looks like. Now what we need to do is look at the mandate. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 5. It says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It it does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. What did I just tell you to do? Nothing at all. Okay, this is a description. You're catching on. There you go. We are then commanded to let all we do be done in love. We get a description, but then he ends it by saying, now do everything you do in love. The prescription or command here is to do all things in love. The description is that love long suffers. Just like the Galatians passage, we can deduce that if we do not see patience, then the love that produces it is not there. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a way manner, or in a, in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience. Now watch what follows. There's a reason why these two statements are attached to each other. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, with macrothumia, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, in the bond of peace. According to this passage, patience is related to bearing with one another in love and having an eagerness to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul would not have to say this if he didn't have good reason to say this, which means that there must be 
abrasiveness going on between the brethren. Okay. In other words, the brethren are going to annoy you. Welcome to life. Welcome, welcome to the church. Okay. We are going to annoy each other. Uh, the brethren are going to get in your space. They're going to hurt your feelings, and sometimes they are going to downright take you off. Okay? The burden of handling the situation, as offensive as brethren can be, is not up to the offender. Paul gives this instruction to those who are listening. He gives that instruction to you, and he gives that instruction to me. Yes, the other person may have offended us, and legitimately so. And we could even prove that and support that in a court of law. doesn't matter. Paul's instruction is to those of us who are listening. It's our job to macrothemia. Colossians 1, 9 through 11 says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Long-suffering in this passage seems to result from the prayers of the brethren and prayers specifically for the knowledge of his will so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Okay? Remember, the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And the spirit and the mind function uh, such that they are being renewed as we consume our Bibles. And we are to walk in a way that is pleasing to him. Also, the attitude coupled with long-suffering here is not misery or sadness. Okay, I'm really going through a trial right now. This person's making me crazy. That's not what's being described here, but rather joy. While joy is not the same thing as happiness, authentic joy does indeed produce happiness. Joy begins, though, not with a feeling, but rather the understanding. Remember the mind. Renew your mind. But rather the understanding that God is sovereign over all things, including difficult times that you experience with abrasive people. He's in charge of that. Joy results from knowing that God will be using this in your life to bring about completion and perfection. Colossians 3, 12 to 14 says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. Okay, there we see patience and bearing with one another. Uh, tie it in with each other again. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Again, here we see patience coupled with bearing with one another. The way it manifests itself through forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. Your ability, and if you forget everything else here tonight, remember this. Your ability to forgive others is proportional to the amount of forgiveness you perceive you have received from the Lord yourself. If I get it, if I comprehend how big of a mess I am, 
and how I deserve absolutely nothing good from the hand of the Lord, yet I see it in abundance. And I realize from how much he has forgiven me, it makes it so much easier for me to macrothemia, for me to be patient with, for me to understand that that person is a work just like I'm a work. And even though they're a mess, I know I'm a mess and I'm not as big a mess as I used to be because of what God has done in my life. So my ability to extend grace, my ability to extend mercy, my ability to be patient is directly proportional to how much I get God has done that with me. If I don't get it, I'll lose my patience quickly. Okay. Hebrews 6, 9 through 12 says, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. Our God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints. Remember serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, don't get worn out, don't get sick and tired of doing this, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. If you haven't yet, if you're in the ministry or you work in some kind of ministerial capacity, you will find out that working with the sheep can be really, really trying. Amen? It's easy to year after year working with the sheep and them not produce what you think they should be producing to get burnt out and to get tired and to get what they call here sluggish. Okay? He says, don't do that. When the saints seem to give, work, contribute less than you do, the applause that counts is that which comes from heaven. Do not grow weary in doing good, particularly in serving the saints. Long suffer because there is an inheritance coming. James 5, 7 through 9 says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. James is not talking about farming here. Okay, He's using farming as an illustration, but that's not at the heart of what he intends. He's talking about being patient with the brethren. Wait for the precious fruit. It will come when the Spirit is present. Okay, It's coming. We are all at various locations on that timeline of sanctification. Thank God I had people who were very, very patient with me, and they established a, uh, a model for me to follow. And it was really through their model that I understood how sinful I was and therefore how much patience God has exhibited towards me. And again, how much you can extend to someone else is proportional to how much you understand you've received. So we've looked at our model, we've looked at our mandate, now let's look at our mission. Why do we do this? Romans 2, 1 through 5 says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on one another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. You get ticked off at somebody because they're annoying. 
They're abrasive. Don't forget. So are you, and so am I. <laughs> and you can amen that, okay? Thank you. I got one. All right. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? See, those of us who judge, we're getting away with it because God is patient. doesn't mean that he's overlooking it. Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Okay? He's withholding wrath in order to give me time to grow up. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. 2 Peter 3, 8-9 through 9 says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So those who he has picked out, those who he has chosen, he's holding back his wrath. He has every right to exercise it immediately. But out of his macrothemia, he holds back. What is the function of patience? If God did not exercise long-suffering with us, he would have vaporized us a long time ago. He puts up with our junk so that we are given time to be saved and to be sanctified. 1 Timothy 1.16, But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. This is going to sound cliche, but I'm going to say it anyway because it's true. You may be the only Bible others ever read. And the way we are going in our churches today, that includes Christians. The initial way that they may ever see God's patience is by seeing it manifest in you, not by reading it in his word. 2 Timothy 4, 2-4 says, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Do we see that? All over the place. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. In the light of the previous idea that implies that the scriptures just are not taught anymore in much of the Christian community, it can be really easy to become short-tempered with those that we think should know more than they do. Okay? Jaime Escalante. Anybody ever see the, the movie Stand and Deliver? Great movie if you ever get a chance. In that story, uh, he's a computer analyst, and he leaves that because he wants to do something humanitarian, and, and he becomes a, an AP calculus teacher in the barrio. Uh, and what he does, uh, he says of the students, because the, the rest of the teachers have given up on them, he says, they're not stupid, they just don't know anything. More and more, this is going to be our experience in the Christian community. They aren't stupid. They just don't know anything. And the reason they don't know anything is because good teaching has been replaced with feel-good messages. Okay? In summary, 
A fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering, withholding anger and wrath from those who try your patience. As believers, this quality should be seen in us because God's Holy Spirit is in us and will function in such a way so as to be seen. Our job is to walk away from the sinful impulses of the flesh and to become more knowledgeable of God's Word. If we are doing this effectively, we will then see all the fruit of the Spirit regularly displayed in our lives. Lord, I pray that uh, you would give each one of us the wisdom and the strength to not make excuses when we lose our patience with those around us, but that we would catch it immediately, that we would repent of it, that we would make things right with the offended party. And uh, Lord, no matter how offensive they may be, please give us the ability to extend that macrothemia uh, to all that we come in contact with. We thank you, Lord, that uh, you have uh, entered us by your Holy Spirit and that you have given us uh, a means other than the flesh by which to operate in this life. And, uh, Lord, we ask that you would uh, become more and more prevalent in how we deal with our surroundings and how we deal with ourselves internally and how we deal with you. Uh, as it is guided by your Holy Spirit rather than our flesh. Lord, we uh, thank you for this evening, and we thank you for this family that's here. And Lord, may we long suffer with each other and uh, for the purpose of uh, building each other up and aggressively pursuing the unity of the body. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.